0: My first time. I'm Colleen Smith. I'm Mary Jo Smith. No relation.
1: With us, as always, is Ian Phone Smith.
2: Coming at you.
1: (laughs) Related to me.
0: Not related
1: to me. We are doing this via Zoom conference.
0: Yeah, come on a Zoom, 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 Zoom. Is that the song? Oh, Patrick got
3: it. 70s children's show reference. Shush, Patrick, we haven't introduced you yet. Oh, goodbye.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're doing this for the very first time. Speaking of first times, we are doing this via teleconference because or Zoom conference because why are we doing it be- this way, Colleen? Because
1: of the coronavirus. Oh, Corona. Um. So, uh, this month's topic is sort of uh, it's a it's a bunch. It's sort of pandemics, quarantines, disasters. You know, things that grip the world and change our lives forever. <laughs> and, <laughs> Force us to hide inside our homes. <clears throat>
0: and but, not to be confused with depression.
1: No. Okay. So that can also be part of people's stories. Sure. Our, our guests today have all been thrown into this at the very last minute. So uh, just know that <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this very special episode. Uh, with us is Patrick Bristow.
0: Returning champion number one, Patrick Bristow. Oh,
1: I
3: didn't know I'd won anything.
0: Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> uh,
1: Sam Pancake.
3: Returning champion number two. Greetings. Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> and Amanda Faith Maddock, who's up here for the first time.
4: Right, long time listener. Ooh, <laughs> first time Ooh. lover. Welcome. Um, do
1: you guys want to go around and just tell people a little bit about yourself? Patrick, we'll start with you.
3: Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I'm Patrick Bristow. Uh, I, I consider myself a 90s guest star. You probably <laughs> saw me on some like hot sitcoms in the 90s and and uh, now I'm chilling out in the California desert. All
1: right,
0: Sam.
5: <laughs> um, I'm Sam Pancake. I'm an actor also. I'm a thousand uh, guest stars. Um, <laughs> star.
0: The aughts. The aughts.
5: The aughts. Is that what we call them now? Yeah, the aughts. I'm an actor still so, so chugging and plugging away at being an actor on the TV and such.
4: Currently and Amanda- on, among other things, A Million Little Things.
5: Yes. Ooh.
4: Ooh. And Amazing. Amanda. Uh, my name is Amanda Maddock, yes. Uh, I am a puppeteer and a puppet builder. and
0: Ooh, and a builder too.
4: You've probably never seen me on the TV. <laughs> Have we seen your arm inside
0: a felt? Yes. Yeah.
4: In- indeed. <laughs> One or two felt. <laughs> um, all
1: right. Uh, Mary Jo, do you want to go first? you want me to go first?
0: Uh, I'll go first. I'll t- I mean, I'll talk about where we are right today. Um, so this is, uh, what is this day? Today's March 31st. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be April 1st tomorrow. This will go up on, on, on the, on the internet worldwide netwebs tomorrow, the 1st of April. Um, but, uh, I think this is day 17, um, of me, um, under lockdown. I have not left my house in 17 days. Um, I, uh, am working remotely, which I think I thought would be kind of cool. Like, I think I've always thought that this would be something that I would enjoy doing and I don't enjoy it at all. Um, I, um, for those of you that you that, uh, know me, I mean, I work in um, entertainment marketing and I have a team of almost 30 people and trying to keep them engaged and feeling valued and valuable during this time has been like my biggest focus. And, like, how do I inspire them to be part of this weird experience when we've deprioritized so much of what we do. And, and I, I think the thing that I struggle with myself personally every day is um, like, I really just want to go to bed and pull the covers over my head and wake up when this is all over. And I, and I sort of get into this place of like, none of this fucking matters. It's only television. It's only marketing who gives a shit. But then the flip side of that, which is I need to help maintain the health of the company as much as I can so that there are less layoffs and and um, people can keep their jobs longer so I find myself teetering back and forth between that those two places um every day um uh, yeah
1: uh are you clicking something while you're talking no is someone clicking something
4: does anyone hear that clicking
2: I hear it though I hear it
4: yeah what is that clicking? Somebody on their computer? Yeah. Mouse?
0: Anything? No. All right. Keep going. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I, uh, I was sort of thinking like when I was a kid, we, we were isolated a lot. Um, I mean, I grew up in sort of unorthodox ways and would live in sort of remote areas like you know, up dirt roads where nobody ever goes and where there you had to have a post office box because there is no street address for where you live and you live in a teepee or you live in a bus and, um, or I did, you didn't, I did. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I, you know, as a kid, I was, I, I, I was scared a lot and I always had this fear of being left behind. um, which, as you know, if you listen to this podcast at all, has happened to me before, but uh, as a kid. Um, and this is different. Like, I don't... I mean, I, this is just... This is so... So first of all, just... I don't really have a story. I'm just living this. Like, as we all are just living this right now. The first thing that sort of occurs to me around this whole thing is that we all slipped into this, like, oh, okay, we're just quarantined now. Like, we're just all going to go home and not come out for months. And it wasn't like... I don't know anybody that was like, what, you know, like, I mean, I guess there are a few people in Virginia that are still going, what, but for the most part, we all just sort of like, okay, this is what we're doing. And we sort of picked ourselves up, took ourselves inside and shut the door. And now I feel like I'm living like almost half fugitive. Like when somebody knocks on the door, it's like, don't answer the door and um, who's there. And it's all like really freaky and I want to open the door. And then uh, like chick, um, Uh, my husband who's also co-producer of this podcast like went outside to see the uh see this woman that stopped by to drop something off for us and i was like yelling six feet apart like through the door like i'm so freaked out and and i and i'm having this like i don't know if you guys are doing this but in my mind there's this animation going on where i can see little bacteria bacteria like floating around in the air every time i touch something you just sort of see like it goes up like like a pig pen on uh peanuts you know like there's just like um i I, yeah and then yesterday um speaking of puppets uh, my neighbors are uh, michael ustrom and zach barton and they called me yesterday they lived two streets away from me to say hey heads up there's two guys in masks with bats and batons running around, um, robbing people in our neighborhood. And sure enough, like two houses up from me, they robbed two two people that live two houses up from me. And so then last night I'm having nightmares of like guys with masks and batons. But in my dream, they're like parade batons, not police batons. So they're like twirling. (laughs) Like I'm losing my mind. (laughs) My point is I'm losing my mind. Uh,
2: they were doing uh, home invasions or just on the street kind of thing?
0: I guess they strong-armed somebody on the street, um, which is like, this is, so, if this is so walking dead 28 days later doomsday shit, right? Like, I don't, what is happening? And we're just sort of like, okay, let's do a podcast. I don't know, it's so weird. <laughs> this whole thing is so fucking weird. But then, of course, what else are we going to do? Mm. You know, my, I'm living with my mom. Um, she's in the middle of chemotherapy. So she's super high risk. And so I'm just terrified that I'm going to bring this thing into the house and kill her. And she's terrified that she's going to bring it in the house and kill me. So those are the conversations that we have every single night. I really hope I don't bring this home to you and kill you that she says, Oh, I I don't know why I'm bothering with this. Like why have chemo? if This is just going to kill me. It's like, what about what reality? (laughs) This is insane. Um, This is in no way funny, but this is sort of like, Amanda's laughing. Thank you. Um,
4: Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Um, My my mother passed away in February and from cancer after a, a while. And I've had this like morbid, but funny thing of like, well, thank God she's not around for this. I mean, you know, it's just like, Load off her mind, but then it really is true, like a load off of our minds. Because my dad would have had to have been so careful; she would have been worried about me. I would have been worried about her. I mean, we live on opposite sides of the country, but it really would have amped up the anxiety. I mean, the grief is a different thing, but the anxiety of whether was she safe, was my dad safe, um, you know? And then she would have been very freaked out about me, who lives in LA, and my sister who lives in Boston. So, I mean, I think it's it surreal times beget surreal thoughts right and it's just, this is the moment
0: absolutely 100 percent right um and and then also i get filled with a lot of gratitude and and um very conscious of the things that i have taken for granted and um and also very uh cognizant of like the voice in my head that's like, well, now's the time you should do those things you always say you're going to do, like write a book or do a scrapbook or I don't know whatever the hell that I have on my list, learn Spanish. Um and uh and that but another part of me is sort of like, but I can't like I, I'm so overwhelmed with just trying to make a Tuesday work that I can't I, I don't I don't know how I could possibly uh, learn another language or or anything you know it's just weird um and i and i keep saying like like when i work with a personal trainer if they tell me to do push-ups i need to know how many push-ups you want me to do even if it's a an outrageous number i just need to know the end game like if you say i need you to do 100 push-ups i'll do 100 push-ups so uh, i want to know like i want to speak to the manager when is this over what's the end date when do we get to go out? What's normal? It, will there ever be normal? Like you hear all these different things, right? Because we don't really have one united voice for this country right now. So one governor tells you one thing and one governor says something else. And then a senator says something else. And then the CDC says something. And then the World Health Organization says something. And there's nobody to tell me the number of push-ups that I have to do. So I'm just, I feel like I'm i am in that, I don't know when this is going to end. And i uh, that makes me feel, obviously, that this is... Silly to say, but I just feel unsafe and unsure of, of what's going to come next. And that's, you know, i mean, for, I'm a control freak. So that just pushes every button that I have. And like, I don't know, this is bananas. It's bananas. It's bananas. That's my story.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know you need to turn your
0: TV off, right? (laughs) I know. That's the thing. You can't like turn off TV, turn off Twitter, all of it. Yeah. But then
4: what do you do?
1: Right. read a book <laughs> oh <Dude>. I am <laughs> uh
4: Mary Jo I thought it's funny when you're describing like the pig pen yeah waves I have a a different visual that happens every time I go out of my house so I live alone currently I actually had housemates that moved out and I'm not working so I I I had I did travel out of the country to England and returned to here uh, at the beginning of March. So there was that bit of risk, but then I've passed that window and I'm, I'm here. And so I'm really pretty contained, but I go outside and I, I literally see like one of those like applause meters in terms of like <laughs> what it is that I'm doing. You know, I go out, like I go for a walk in my neighborhood. I'm like, eh, you know, that's pretty good. Um, but I went to the farmer's market last Sunday and they said it was open and, you know, so distancing and all that stuff. But I went there and I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and I was like, okay, you're, a you're in the while, And then now, yeah, now the thing i saying, like, I guess I'm just going to start wearing a cover because I don't think I'm super worried about myself, but it, I'm I have this whole idea of they're saying now, if you're asymptomatic and you actually could give it to somebody who's vulnerable. So for me, I feel like doing this is going to, you know, bring that back down into the yellow <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> yeah. the fire danger meter or something.
1: <laughs> and on that note, Amanda, do you want to tell your
4: story? Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I do. Well, I will. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I happened to tell the story to Colleen not that long ago, and I don't even think about it as some, in some ways as like a big story, because. Uh, this happened to me when I lived in New York city and I lived in New York city for a lot of years. And so I had a lot of people who also lived in New York city and we all had this experience. But then now that I've been living in Los Angeles and uh, working out of the country and things like that, occasionally when it comes up um, people want to hear the story because they were not in New York city on September 11th. um, And I was, and I had, moved to New York City in um, 1999, right after I graduated from college. And I had this great fortune of there being sort of like a renaissance of puppetry, TV shows and, and theater and stuff going on at that time. And I had a very busy sort of like 18 months or so and uh, found myself, my, like the series that I had been working on um, wrapped in August, 2001. And I went on a little vacation to Colorado and I came back on September 7th or something like that. And I was like newly unemployed and I was in my early 20s and was like, okay, like going to exercise until a job comes up or whatever. So I got up one morning and, you know, was stretching in my living room and I, and I turned on the TV. I think it was like eight o'clock in the morning and, and uh, whoever Whatever that NBC <laughs> was, it Peter Jennings. I don't remember who it was. Tom Brokaw, but saying a small plane has has hit the North Tower of um, of, of the World Trade Center, and and uh, and I was just, I remember I was like stretching, and I was like, "Say what now?" And <laughs> uh, I lived in Williamsburg, and I had a you know it was like a three story building, and I happened to have a fantastic view of the entire Manhattan skyline. This was again 2001, so all of those skyscrapers that were built along uh, Williamsburg and all those other things hadn't been built yet it was still pretty um, modest in terms of that and uh, um, and I was allowed roof access and would go up there a lot and so I'm just like I'm wow I'm I bet I can see that on my roof so I toddle upstairs and you know sure enough I can see smoke pouring out of the of the North tower and uh, and I'm standing there and going like oh my like whoa, you know, I can't believe I'm going to be walking around New York City uh, in the months to come, and like, there's going to be a big hole in the World Trade Center. Tower. Like, this is crazy. Um, and this was also again like 2001, so I think I had a cell phone, but obviously it was downstairs. <laughs> like, didn't bring it with me ever. So I toddle back downstairs to go to the to go back to the news and see what they're saying next. And uh, yeah, they're just trying to report, you know, figure out what's going on and. Um, I had a roommate and I was like, I better wake him up. Like, this is, this is, I can't, I can't, I can't experience this alone. And so I go and I wake him up and, uh, and he crawls out of bed and we go upstairs and we're, and we're watching. And for people that aren't familiar, maybe with the geography, New York city is uh, Brooklyn is, if you're looking at it, Brooklyn's to the, to the right is to the East. And then you've got Manhattan. Uh, and so I was kind of, I had like a due West view of the of the towers and we were standing there looking at these buildings when all of a sudden there was a big explosion on the on the second building you know lower down and just a huge explosion and we're standing there going what just happened like if this was a small plane like was there a bomb that just went off in the other one what in the world so we run back downstairs and you were
0: uh, still like you were on the roof outside
4: yeah, I was on the, yeah, I was, So uh, didn't hear a thing. I think it was, I think Brooklyn is, that part of Brooklyn is probably two or three miles or something like that. I mean, maybe something, but it, the way it was is we were completely, the tower completely obscured the plane hitting the building. So all we saw was the, the other side, uh, essentially, essentially um, mushroom cloud out. So we run back downstairs. And then of course, at that point, they're reporting that a, 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 the second plane hit hit this building, and then of course, there was those i 'm sure everybody remembers the moments of then they don 't know how many planes and there's you know seventy five planes that were unaccounted for in the air or things like that and uh, but and I saw, we go back upstairs and we 're looking at it again and, and I remember going like i can 't believe i 'm going to be walking around New York City with you know two holes in both of the World Trade Center buildings like this is unbelievable and go back downstairs and obviously you know more time not much more time passes by and we're up on the roof and there's more and more smoke coming out of the buildings and uh, I remember one of my neighbors was up there at one point and he just goes today is my birthday and (laughs) it was also primary day it was also primary voting day I'll just those two strange details and I was like I would say happy birthday I, I I feel it for you but you know and then you know, and then we're standing there and we're watching and there's more and more snow smoke. And then all of a sudden just somebody says like, is that, is that top, is the top of that tower moving, you know? And, and we, and it just kind of disappeared and there was so much smoke. And in that moment too, we're all standing there and this is, you don't, we didn't realize it just pancaked down, but you're imagining this 110 story building collapsing over all of Southern Manhattan and, and sort of the chaos of that. And, uh, I just, you know, in retrospect, it was. I find it so uh, amusing, personally, or, or or you just this thing of you the each layer of going. Oh, I can't believe that I'm going to walk around and there's going to be one hole or two holes or there's only going to be one building and not sort of like seeing the like. Well, if one building's going to fall, I mean, you know the and if you just can't believe how big something is is going to get and. I think, and it was then that all of a sudden you noticed that, you know, there were no, no airplanes anywhere. You couldn't hear anything. You're always hearing airplanes. And then there were fighter jets circling around and, uh, and that was, was very, it was reassuring and eerie at the same time. And then, you know, I couldn't get through to my, my family to let them know that I was okay. I mean, I was unemployed as far as they knew, like I could be anywhere in New York (laughs) city at that time. And, uh, Again, those were the early days of cell phones and stuff, and I think I think all the cell phone towers were actually on the World Trade Center towers. Um, somehow I think I managed to, like, email a friend. I had a dial-up connection, too, at that time. You know, everybody didn't have – I think I was using, like, instant messenger. <laughs> something like that. I managed, to get a, I managed to get a message to a friend who was living in Connecticut who was able to make a phone call to my parents in New England uh, in New Hampshire and tell them that I was fine. Um, and uh, but then the yeah and it was just so I think it was that like what do we do now or you're supposed to leave or don't leave and I was you know I, I was over there in Brooklyn and I was like I feel very confused but honestly like perfectly safe nobody's gonna do anything over here to you know, this flat little part of Brooklyn I mean I think the Manhattan but but it was definitely that the days, the hours right after, the days afterwards, you know, you're waiting for, you know, they shut down all the subways, they shut down all the buses, people had to walk uh, over the bridges to get home if they could, or people that lived in New Jersey, I think, had to just stay put somewhere. And and it was really that thing of, you just, you see footage afterwards of so many people trying to help out where they can, and you hear all the stories about people giving water, running into stores, and um, and it was so, it was such a shock a few days later going into Manhattan. I think they, you know, they, they opened the subways back up and you were able to go everything like all, I think all traffic was, was shut down below 14th street and you couldn't go below Houston street if you didn't have identification to prove that you lived down there, but to walk around Manhattan and have it be com- almost completely devoid of cars everybody making eye contact and sort of checking in with each other and, you know, seeing if that you're okay, or just kind of having, we all went through this very unexpected, very traumatic, you know, experience. And, uh, and then too, that it just, um, at that point as well, there were just those signs everywhere about people that were missing, you know, and they were, they were up at the hospitals and they were just, we were, everybody was hoping that there were going to be, people at hospitals that, that, you know, they had to identify them or something like that. And, and it was the same thing with all the hospitals that got so prepped to receive victims. And they just didn't, they just didn't, you know, if you were down there, you, you didn't come back. And, uh, and this city, um, it smelled like fire. It smelled like burning materials uh, for, a, for weeks, for, for a lot of weeks. And you could go, I think it was, you know, really only a couple of weeks after. Went to the Empire State Building, went to the top of the building. You could still see the the fire uh, burning down at, at Ground Zero, there. And uh, but I, st- you know, I stayed. A lot of us, everybody, I feel like stayed. You wanted to support the city, and you wanted to um, see what was going to come next or just, and, and it was, it was very slow. I feel like to, to bounce back, but um, you know, and I think New York is is sort of proving that as well as that they, they will band together and, and they are trying to do their best. But I mean, I was talking to a friend right now who's still there. He was there September 11th um, and he was saying that he feels, um, he feels maybe potentially beaten by this, that he doesn't know if he can stay in New York anymore. Now, uh, he mentioned specifically um, the the large uh, refrigerated uh, tractor trailers that they're parking outside of hospitals uh, to try to deal with with some of the mortality that they're that are experiencing already, and that he just, um, yeah needs to move on. And it's a very strange feeling. I mean, I think. September 11th for so long for so many people. It's like that was this generation's version of like a, a JFK assassination, right? Is that you you knew exactly where you were and what you were doing and whether you woke up or, or whatever it was um, on September 11th. And and then now this is just such a, a to affect the whole, whole entire country. And I think it's, it's interesting, Mary Jo, you mentioned the, you want the ups and you want to know what it is or that, or that we all also were just like told to go inside and we said, okay, right. but you know what? But I think it was also like, Oh, this thing is happening in China. Isn't boy, that's unfortunate. Oh, and now this thing is happening uh, in some other, you know, in, in Korea and Oh boy, isn't that terrible that that's happening in Italy. It's sort of like this, I don't know, is it a survival technique or something like that? And until it's, until it's absolutely, you have to contend with it. You, you don't, contend with it? Yeah, it's
0: it's funny because if you go back,
4: like I remember seeing China
0: build that hospital in January um, or maybe late January, early February. They built the hospital in 10 days. And I saw the article, and I think I might have even shared it in social media. Like, this is insane. They just built an entire hospital. In 10 days from the ground up, they had set up a um, time-lapse camera. And so, yeah, like we all have sort of peripherally – in, in different timelines, been aware of this coming or happening. Not necessarily coming. <clears throat> I don't know that I thought it was coming at that time. I just knew this was happening. So, yeah, it's weird that it just sort of drip, 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 which is versus nine eleven, which was this huge kaboom.
4: It's but like- incrementally, within that kaboom, I still had that, like, oh, I can't believe this little thing and then that little thing. I never thought that, like, no, there's going to be this completely unbelievable experience that's about to happen 25 minutes from now, you know? Yeah. I,
3: I, yeah. Well, wasn't the um the term failure of imagination applied to why they couldn't see that a 9-11 could happen? Am I... Was that was that a phrase that was used then?
0: That's a great phrase. I don't failure know. Of
3: imagination. I, think, I think it was from, from that. And... Um, and it sure seems like we've had that again—a um, a failure of being able to imagine forward. Like, when where could this go? I mean, the minute it was outside of China, it's like, okay, well, it can be anywhere. And in our you know global economy and global village and everything, we know stuff can travel fast. So it seems like there's that denial that that first of like, this isn't going to be bad. No, I can't deal with. I no, come on, it, it'll be fine. And some people are still in that head. And I, so I think between the 9-11 thing as you were watching stuff, thinking, oh, there's going to be holes in the buildings. Um, and, the, and a government that didn't pay attention to the noise in the intelligence community was, that was picking up about k and whatever. Um, again, that failure of imagination. And I think maybe that is a human thing that we get blindsided and then go, why was I, bl-? a few minutes later go, why was I blindsided? by that it was pretty obvious
0: yeah it's kind of like westworldy you know like you have like a little glitch like you said amanda you were like what do we do now and i remember feeling that after 9-11 and i feel that today like what do we do like this is beyond what is on my usual track of information that runs through my brain on a regular basis i guess that is the the what did you just say the failure of imagination like it Yeah, it just never occurred to me that this is where I might be and that I don't know where it goes next is
3: very disconcerting. And that's something that's been kind of occupying me lately. And, you know, I was raised in a rather morbid, dark humor, gallows humor Irish household. So I'm thinking, what next? I don't want to have a failure of imagination moment. Mm. And of course, I'm, you know, um, a lot of it is, you know, is fear-based, but I'm trying to be practical. I'm thinking like, like right now I'm going, there's no way we're not going to be going into a 1930s style depression. Right. How can we not? Right. People are not going to have money. Items are going to have to be sold uh, cheaper. And that's not saying that that's a good thing. Right. Warehouses full of, of stuff are going to have to move it because they're losing their lease because the business is dying. Um, I'm. You know, and I I mean, I don't mean to be like all chicken little and everything, but I've been doing a fair amount of like, you know, negative prognosticating and thinking like, okay, well, there's going to be more homeless and there's probably going to be more houses available as people have to move in with each other and people are going to lose homes. So I'm I'm in a little bit of a, a practical negative headspace where, you know, I'm not trying to be a downer or anything like that. But the control freak in me, Mary Jo, doesn't want to be taken by surprise. So I'd almost rather go like, okay, looks like we're going to go into a big economic depression and a lot of those things that you know our grandparents or your great-grandparents um, dealt with are going to be things we're going to be dealing with for the first time in our lives. And um, in addition to that, I'm hitting a lot of gratitude. Andy and I look at each other like probably three times a day. And just go we are so lucky mm-hmm. you know um we're in a rural area right now that hasn't been hit but they're gonna get hit it's got it's coming and it's coming hard um and then you were talking uh i don't have a story i'm just gonna <laughs> remark on things <laughs> i've heard That's in okay. case you haven't noticed this isn't following the story format of a <laughs> play and there's not gonna be like a realization and a payoff so i'm just warning you. okay also, you didn't invite me to tell my story. I just started.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. That's a natural Take it away.
3: Well, I'm halfway through it. Um, the, uh, the, the, the gratitude, but also the fear. When you talked about those guys in your neighborhood with the batons, yeah. you know, the, the scary type batons, <laughs> my blood ran cold. And I'm like, yeah. I've always had this fear of the mob. Mm-hmm this fear of societal collapse. It is so terrifying to me. Um, The first, I think, thing where I felt like very unsafe as a kid was the 1971 earthquake in North, not Northridge, in uh, Silmar. Mm
2: -hmm. We lived in
3: La Cañada. So it was in the wee hours of the morning, all of a sudden the house is shaking, it's a big one. First one I'd ever experienced, I was eight. Bookshelf came over my bed, I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. Um, my parents got me out. You know, it was nuts. We weren't in school for a few days. Um, there were aftershocks. We had some damage to the house, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my God, the entire world can do this at a moment's notice." Yeah. So when the when the Northridge quake happened, I was like, "Here we go again. Here we go again." And after that, I had a certain PTSD where I'd personified the quake. I hated him. Haha. <laughs> Did he have g- a
1: name? No,
3: I never gave him a name. <laughs> um, or actually, I never even gave him a gender. But um, I hated it, um, and and I would find myself like inexplicably a little bit mad sometimes or cranky. And what I was mad at was <laughs> the unpredictability of the world. I was <laughs> mad at the way things work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of like trying in real time to adapt to this to not have those kind of um, those those that kind of that kind of trauma you know and i think maybe part of my the, the that morbid irish thinking like we're going into a depression it's going to happen there's going to be desperate people out there um that, that's part of trying to avoid letting it get the better of me yeah um
0: well and i think i've been thinking a lot about that too i know you and i had like a, a little bit of an exchange of like somebody had asked on social media what are you using this time to do that you've been putting off. And my response was prepare for an emergency because that is something that I've put off, whether it's canned goods and a can opener or candles or batteries or whatever it is. Yeah. um, Where I I always go through that period of like, I'm going to build that up. And I do. And then, Oh, I'm thirsty. What's in the emergency bag? You know, like you always end up cracking into that stuff.
1: Yeah, You always end up cracking into your emergency bag at home.
0: No, not really. (laughs) But I wonder, you know how like, Um, uh, women in childbirth, they say there's like a hormone that gets released that somehow wipes your memory of the pain and the struggling that it takes to deliver a baby so that biologically you'll be willing to do it again. I wonder if there's somehow like a little bit of that that goes on with us with big traumatic things like this. We're like, I don't have it. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Real quick, um, yeah. I think we've gotten to the mystery of the clicking. Mary Jo, you have a pen in your hand, and you're clicking it.
4: Ooh. Oh,
5: Mary Jo. <laughs> oh.
1: It's gone. Uh, so back to Patrick's story from what Mary Jo said. The,
3: the well-crafted story.
4: <laughs>
3: story? But <coughs>
1: um, <laughs> you said that uh, you survived all these things and like we have come back from those things. Does that comfort you at all? The memory, the knowledge that it felt like it was falling apart and now we're not, it-, it actually rebuilt itself.
3: Absolutely. And that's the, these are the two trains running in opposite directions with me. Occasionally I'll have someone or a student go like, you know, you come off so confident, you come off so confident, you know, um, and maybe what they're really saying is arrogant. Um, but the, the, the confidence is what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? It ends. All right. Or, you know, or, you know, or I lose an arm. All right. Other people have lost arms. You know, again, I'm in that really weird, dark Irish place. But, um, but yeah, my, any, the confidence I have is just like, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't, if I go into an audition, let's say, and I don't get it. Oh, well, you know, big deal. Um, If something doesn't work out, oh, well, big deal and so i've got that side and then the other side that i talked about earlier and so in a moment like this i'm i'm juggling the two and trying to make the healthier choices stay cognizant but not freaked out um you know and um let you know my let my better my better mind kind of you know choose the balance and help me help inform my decisions and help me inform how I'm going to cope with whatever arises.
0: There's also something. It's improv. It's totally improv. And I, I I think there's also something I can't remember the last time human beings were united around the globe with one thing. And it's a, it's a terribly dark thing, but we all have this in common, which I find sort of fascinating and it, even though it has been politicized in a lot of ways, it's not political, it's not no. racial, and it's not um, socioeconomically, you no, know, it just it is.
3: I think yeah. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have that otherness, like, you know, the AIDS crisis, there was an otherness that yeah. a lot of people could feel very confident, like, it's not going to touch me, it's them. Right. Those people in Africa, gays, but this is, not, this doesn't quite have that otherness.
5: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, if I may launch in. Yes, I, I am. Um Because I, as you earlier were kind of reminding me, like I had this piece go viral from the Love It or Leave It podcast, which was about being a man my age, and Patrick and I are around the same age, I think, um, and <laughs> how we are. And uh, why, why do you and- look like my son?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
5: a witch. Um, I'm a witch. I don't know. Well, we'll get to those reasons. But like, um, no, we won't. Um, I lucky. that's one of my big things. I've just been lucky. But like, I, um, was talking in this, in this, there was, they asked you to to do a rant on this podcast. And I did, I didn't know it was going to be filmed, but it was about gay ageism and how this younger person said to me at this industry thing, a guy that I knew had been around a few times, who's an asshole. And um, I'm learning more about him since all this, too, as people find out who it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's a horrible, bullying sociopath. I'm very successful. Like, what a surprise in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> anyway, my my talking, to him saying to me, I'd rather be, because at the time I was 54, and he, he was making fun of my age, and he said, you know, your text is so big on your phone, you're so old. And I said, listen, one day you're either going to be 54 or you'll be dead. Those are the two choices. And he was like, I'd rather be dead than your age, which was such an ignorant thing to say, especially for someone who, who while I've luckily like unbelievably stayed healthy and well throughout the age crisis and have a negative and like just by magic. Yeah, um, right. But as you, as we all did, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know about you because we're young, but like, we all lost so many people to AIDS and like so many friends, my age, younger than me, a little older than me, would have loved to see 54. And that this young gay man said that to me, and also not that young, he's 33, was like the, that was what my rant was. So they want you to rant. So I ranted about that. And when this started and that came out on, I checked it for research. It, that thing came out uh, that clip went viral on Twitter on uh, like the 28th or 27th of January. So when this started a month later, and then it really kicked in three weeks ago, young gay people or LGBT people or anyone were asking me to for some calming words about this because they were so afraid. And these are, these are young men. The people that have reached out to me have mostly been men um, in their early 20s. <clears throat> and I was saying to them the same thing that you were just saying, Mary Jo. I was like, this feels like we're all in this together. And I... And I said some of that on Instagram and in an Instagram post and a couple of people said, well, no, they're making fun of Chinese Americans, which is terrible and awful that they're, but I, but they, it missed my point. We're like, yes, some assholes who are terrible people anyway are going to be racist about something somehow. And that is incredibly unfortunate with our horrible person in the white house and all that shit. But as I said to my friend, their family members are not going to, they're not going to uh, die a sad, lonely, Death being rejected by their former loved ones and families because they a racist remark was made. And I'm not defending, obviously, any of that at all. I'm just saying, like, <coughs> it was people, the otherness of the AIDS crisis, which, and again, this has been, like, we're, like, in America, what, three, three and a half weeks into the quarantine, lockdown, isolation. But to me, and I know I speak from a place of privilege, and I've been through not just the degree that I'm privileged, as a white man, privileged white man, but the degree that I've been privileged to have lived through so much shit and seen some shit and learned from it, starting with the 15 to 20-ish years of the AIDS crisis at its worst, being a gay man, being in the closet for some of it, out of it, seeing people drop dead around me, the homophobia... The, the government, I read this, I reread the article the other day, 89,000, over 89,000 people died before Ronald Reagan, the president, mentioned it or said yep. anything. I know all y'all know this. Some pe- The young kids don't always know this. And I'm surprised mm-hmm. when they don't. Like it's, and how we didn't have the, the, even when the cocktail started in 93, 94, I lost two really close friends in 96 and 97 from AIDS. I lost a friend two years ago from AIDS, one of my best oldest friends in LA It's a long story, and there was mental illness involved with him just not taking care of himself, but it still kills people. And there's still not a vaccine. So the fact that, I say to these young people, the fact that the government, such as it is now, Christ help us all, don't even believe us, (laughs) that they got on this shit within a couple of months at least, rather than 15, you know, 10, 5, 10, 15 years, and that we are, all of us humans, regardless of race, gender, anything, are in this together, feels so much more comforting to me. Like, everyone is at high alert in the world. That's never happened in my life before. Even the Depression or other global things, the World War II, there are parts of the world it didn't touch. The way this is bringing the globe together is unprecedented, I would assume. Um, the difference between this now and back then, too, or like, imagine if this happened in the late 80s, or early 90s with no internet, no social right. media. No cell phones, like news once a day, which, you know, I, I wish. But um, <laughs> it's just, I, and I was telling this to another younger friend too, where like, I remember the 94 earthquake, and I luckily had this reaction to earthquakes. I didn't grow up with them as a child um, because I grew up in rural West Virginia where people were, I I knew I was, this is a little sidebar, I knew I was gay when I was four, and that was in 1968, 69. And I was terrified and in the closet for the entire 70s and most of the 80s and so fearful all the time. And I said this to my therapist today on Zoom. I have, have <laughs> got my fear from my life. I'm done. It's like when I got sober eight years ago in rehab, they're like, some people, we all have our lifetime supply of drugs and alcohol and you had yours early, which I certainly did. I'm done with that. I'm done with fear. I mean, I have a, enough caution and that kind of thing to get through my day without being killed or s- sickened. I'm very... Cautious and, you know, taking all the all the steps we're supposed to do, obviously. But I, AIDS, ninety two, the riots, that was scary. People at the end of my sheet were I saw we saw people getting shot. Yep. At the end of my street, I lived at six and between six and Wilshire, Burnside. Then the ninety four earthquake two years later, and this sounds silly, but I know, this is in terms of the economic thing, and there is going to be a huge recession, and this is going to be really bad, but out of the depression came social security and unemployment insurance. We need new programs to come out of this. And I think they will, Uh, they're not going to fucking ignore pandemics anymore because I'm like, this is going to happen every one, two, three years with new crazy shit because some rich weirdo wants to eat a pangolin, you know, or something like that. (laughs) And people or fuck a sheep or whatever. This shit's going to keep happening. But because Trump dismantled the pandemic department, this is why this came. Like we, I had these people on Facebook for a couple weeks ago, Republicans from my hometown, being like, Ebola and, you know, I'm sorry, um, was it Ebola and Obama or H1N1? I'm like, oh, that's funny. We weren't all, all locked down with the Ebola and H1N1. This is a lot of Trump shit. So, but then also what I was going to say was economically, and this is me just also taking stock of like, it's what keeps me positive. It's like the fucking commercial strike in 2000 kicked my my ass financially, first of all. Yeah. My life was never the same. 2007, writer strike, almost five, six months, none of us worked. That kicked my ass. That wiped out a big chunk of my retirement plan. So, I <laughs> luckily for this, and this is just me being my personal story, which who gives a fuck, but like I was accidentally well prepared of this because of having a couple of good years. But that's also like luck meets preparedness meets working my ass off all the time, too, right? So, I feel like I mean, I don't want to get sick. I don't think I'll get sick. I also, this is very dark. I've lost so many people. So many people in my life have died on me that like, and this is, I'm telling my therapist today this too on Zoom. It's like, I, it's awful, but I know how to deal with death. I hope it's not my mom. I hope it's not one of my siblings. their close friends or my nieces and nephews. But if it is, I'll be, I'll, I'll get through it because I got through so much shit before as we all have. And I've lost so many, my uncle, my boss, my best friend, so many best friends, you know. And it just is like if it literally, if this doesn't kill you, it will make you stronger. And that's the most trite thing in the world to say, but it's absolutely true. And I can't live in fear too much, or I'll just want to die anyway. So this has been an opportunity for me, and I think for a lot of us to look and like my gratitude levels are sky high. It's like I'm I'm very Pollyanna anyway. I'm it's it's why I'm not dead. I also lived this. I lived through a really bad drug and alcohol addiction, and that almost killed me. And I came out of that one, you know. And it's I, I'm trying to be. I'm sorry. I'm just now. I'm no. on. No, it's so, okay. It's great. It, it's just like we've all been through so much shit, and it's important for us because now, even though I feel like I'm I'm 26 inside, I'm not. I'm 50 fucking five. You know and. I have some wisdom and experience and hope to share with the children. And like like Amanda does now about that, like you know, and you were what, 20 or something, whatever you were, a kid, comparatively, you know, out of just out of college, 23, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's time. It-
1: Wait, Sam, can you guys hear him? I can't.
5: Yeah. I'm back. Yeah. Also in terms of like, and of course, I I'm, I'm, i don't know what's going to happen and things could be really shitty and I, I hope I'm wrong, but like, it's going to be really bad for the next few months and everything. And, and I'm talking about our industry, about the entertainment industry, but like, and even to your point, Mary Jo, about it's just TV. That's all people want right now is to escape yeah. from this bullshit on Pretty TV. Yeah. Yep. Like they just, uh, Netflix went up 50% in the yeah. viewership last week.
0: Even it's, ratings on broadcast television like yeah. Live, people are actually watching with commercials. That doesn't that doesn't happen anymore.
5: Exactly. So that's selfishly good news for our industry. 100%. And it's going to bounce back with a vengeance. Not to yeah. mention all the terrible plays that are going to be written about this.
0: Oh my god.
5: <laughs> I want to be in one. Yeah, exact right one, honey. I write a really bad one. I'm <laughs> no, too lazy. I can't help. And it's, it's my natural sickness is I bright side things too much. That's one of the reasons I became such a drunk is like one more drink won't kill me until it almost did, you know, but I just like have to look that way. And it's, and, and, and this is also me standing on the sidelines of disaster that might not impact me as much as others. It's easy for me to say, but hopefully this administration goes down in flames. We see it finally enough people get how bad it is because it is partially responsible for how bad this thing has been. And history is going to judge it that way. We won't ever have a pandemic like this again, because no one's going to ignore this. Just like we haven't had a terrorist attack on American soil since nine 11, all the stuff that was going to terrorist stuff that will now switch over to pandemic. You know, they're going to be like, you know, hyper vigilant about that shit, you know, because I, like I said, these are going to keep coming. It's just a matter of how we deal with them.
0: No. I love that you keep bringing up the kids though like uh, not to hijack this at all but no, uh, it just struck me the other day. Yay. <laughs> like, this is so <laughs> Yay.
4: I'm, I'm done.
0: <laughs> like, Wait, no. I I've called a, a, my best friend's daughter was turned 14 the other day. And I called to wish her happy birthday and you know of course she's like social distancing which for her is just fucking torture right she's right. 14. She wants to see her friends to all she wants. She just wants like, she had Billie Eilish tickets. Now that's canceled. Like, you know, like this is the end of the world for them. Like, and I get it. And her parents are sort of like, suck it up. And I was like, but wait a minute. I think it's okay for that. this isn't fair. It's not fair. It is not fair. And we as adults can sort of rationalize things and, and compartmentalize things. But for these kids, it's like, this just fucking sucks. It just yeah. fucking sucks. Prom's graduations, all this stuff that is coming up for them in the next few months that is no longer coming up for them in the next few months, likely.
4: I,
2: it's, I, it's not fair. You know, I wonder, oh, I'm sorry.
5: I have two nephews that are 18 and they're both going to, one in West Virginia and one in, here in LA and they're both going to miss prom, spring trip, graduation. Like I, that's another thing of like, I'm going to do them shit. Thank God I'm old now. Because if I was in my kids, a kid, teens, 20s, 30s, this would suck a lot
2: worse. Right. Yeah, imagine staying home with your parents the whole time.
0: Uh, I'm doing it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i on fucking chemo.
1: Well, you know, guys, I think that cues my story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of these, like, memes and stuff have been about Gen Xers and how they're really good at staying home. Um, and I'm that age thing. I'm 79. So, like, I'm a... Yep. I'm at the end of Gen X and I'm at the beginning of Millennial, so I'm not really anything. I think we were called like X, Y, like we were Y, but now there's a Z. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whenever they made old fashioned lists of Gen X stuff, I was like, oh, that's a little older than me, but then they talk about Millennial stuff, and I'm like, I'm not that. Um, But I am very unbothered by (laughs) the pandemic. Um,
5: That's a little bit of me too, not to jump in, but like, I'm where it's Gen X is 61 to 81. And there were those great articles about, like, here's why Gen X is here, you know, because we're used to all, a lot of the thing. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm but
1: it's, first of all, uh, my life normally as an actress is I sit home all day. Like, I don't do anything. Like, I watch TV all day. And now I just don't have to feel guilty about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um I've also been the most productive I've been this since the pandemic. Um, I decided to do, which I'll promote at the end, uh, Teen Witch Live on Zoom. Uh, So the amount of work that has been in that, like the amount of like getting it together and figuring things out and re-recording songs and all that kind of stuff is like, I've been super busy, like to the point of being like, oh, (laughs) I got to take a break and watch some TV. (laughs) Um, And we've like, because I don't have a mother who has cancer at a normal job. uh, Most of my day has been like when it wasn't teen, which has been like doing crafts around the house. I sewed Jennifer a mask. (laughs) Uh, We cleaned out the patio. Um, We've been making various foods. Um, so much food. So much food. But uh, what I was thinking about when you said that, Ian said about staying home, is that the Gen X thingy is um, summertime. This is summertime as a child to me. It's you didn't go to school, so you stayed home, and we weren't really outdoorsy kids. I mean, we had a pool and a yard, but we just sat inside
3: <laughs> and, and watched TV. Where did you All grow up, Hawaii? <laughs> what? I didn't know that. That's what happens when Irish people are in the tropics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had this beautiful deck and a pool and games and two dogs and, and the it,
0: ocean. By and the, way. the
1: ocean. Well, we'd have to go to the ocean, but uh, Jennifer, and Ian, and I would get up in the morning and go through the like TV guide thing and like chart our day out of like <laughs> what TV we were going to watch. And there would be like deserts of TV where it would be like, there's nothing to watch. Um, so sometimes we would go get, we would watch the same like 10 movies we had, or then you, I guess you went and you ate or like read a book, but it was just constant like movies, books, TV until dinner. And then you went to bed and you did that for the summer's 90 days. Right. So just 90 days of that. So I have been training to do this my entire life.
0: <laughs> um, what are you watching on TV? Oh, now <coughs> or in childhood. Oh, wait, every, anytime anybody coughs. Dude. I
1: know
4: coronavirus. <laughs> I'm going to be like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> All the amount I can see everybody actually with their face. Yeah. <laughs> throughout this time. My, conference. <laughs> I
1: have green things in my mouth. Um, Mm-hmm. what did we watch we watched um now i can't think of what we watched. i still haven't watched the session which i need to see oh uh, me
5: neither i do too yeah i want to watch that what's I the feel- session secession
1: oh succession oh. that's great succession sorry <coughs> <coughs> succession. succession is that you leave something
0: yeah you leave like what texas will someday hopefully do
1: yeah um but anyway <laughs> <California>. so
2: just <laughs> yeah <laughs> right let's definitely. go
0: but well, we- <laughs> What I fear, big more than anything else, is that this will we will no longer be a United States.
1: I so this is the thing. First of all, I grew up loving and watching post-apocalyptic movies. I love them. I've written post-apocalyptic plays, um, and i I think that when you when you study history, though, it's like what we've all experienced. But also, you know, we're such a tiny blip on this. You know, when you had to do that tape thing where like or the the clock where humanity is the last like half a second or something that like there have been plagues and famines and depressions and wars and entire i mean that's not comforting but entire thousand two thousand year old civilizations are gone you know um i listened to the fall of the the aztec empire you know and smallpox just like you know and you want to go back in time and be like, quarantine, self-quarantine, <laughs> let smallpox pass. Everybody make a mask. Yeah. Um, but I think that kind of stuff, I think we get, history reminds you, and I and I like to listen to history when I get kind of self-absorbed and panicked, is that mantra my parents were always telling us when we were a kid is that you're not the center of the world. So when I think about this, I think like compared to what other people have gone through and survived the fact that like the, how, how much even the poorest person now has, you know, I mean, not, not homeless people, but homeless people, at least, I mean, I'm not going to compare. I can't even talk about it. But like, if you listen to like Paris right before the revolution, yeah. And like how people were living in like rivers of, shit and mud going into shanty t- like it's like we can get through this we can survive it um but yeah so sam i'm an optimist i'm very like yeah but you know what i haven't lost anybody and i could be a completely different person if i i mean i've lost my father and my our dad went into the hospital on september 11th shit Oh. And he died 10 days later. And so that's one of those weird things of like the worst thing that's ever happened to me is my dad died and it happened on the most significant historical tragic American thing I've ever lived through. So that's my story. Yeah.
2: You know, I had a, I had a thought on that earlier uh, that, that the, the, state, the process of this whole thing is it's evolving and you're becoming aware of it and it's becoming a reality reminds me a lot of that experience of watching a loved one in the ICU or on the deathbed where you're coming in and you're like, all right, it's going to be better. And you're, you're trying to be optimistic, but that reality is sort of looming like a, a shadow, like the sunset in the corner. And at some point that you, the doctor comes in and says like, oh no, they're not going to make it, you know? And it feels like we're, we're right in that, that phase where the reality of as much as I hate to say it, the economic part of this is probably going to be the the worst outcome of the whole thing and will cause down the line problems. But that the reality that we're going into a depression and that might have a complete economic collapse and, and, and a reevaluation of the entire financial system.
3: Yeah. That's yeah.
2: And, and the fact that they pull this bill when they do, and you have all this money being slushed, further away the divide is is going that where like they could mitigate this thing they could freeze rent and mortgages and give everybody a food subsidy and ride it out for six months but instead you're all these people who are out of work are going to owe six months or 12 months of rent and be further in debt which means the bankruptcies are going to go through the roof which means Mm -hmm. the banks are going to collapse to some degree and this whole time you've had $10 $10 trillion going to the corporates who are going to rebuy their stocks under Mnuchin, who's authorizing this whole thing. And uh, so what could have been mitigated is really going to collapse the whole thing. In my opinion, and people, I think you guys are right. People are going to pull together. You're going to have the worst of humanity come out during this yes. crisis. You're going to have some looting probably at some point. If the, the factory stop making canned foods and, Tuna and the fisheries are done, and Amazon doesn't have any more food to send out. They're already shutting down everything except, you know, household supplies and whatever. That you will have some of the worst things coming out. You'll have home invasions. You'll have people out there robbing cars while nobody's looking. And but the opposite side of that is you have that reassuring value that eighty percent of the population has decided I'm going to stay inside to the best of my ability so that I don't kill. That seventy or eighty year old lady, you know, like I'm sacrificing my financial well being, knowing that if I got sick, I'd probably be fine. It'd be a nasty flu for two weeks, but
1: well, not anymore, Ian, though. They lots they found more and more people who are young. I don't know. I don't have that kind of like everything's gonna fall apart. I think the
2: Well, I I'll tell you my personal story as I went into this month paycheck to paycheck you know where it's like I just make rent every month I just make enough to pay the phone bill and whatever and my work is cut in a into a third of what it was and it's probably looking like next month I'm going to be taking that stimulus check and paying my rent with it and scraping by for the rest and the reality is that's going to be the next three to six months of my life if this stays in the stasis that it's in so
0: you step up for each other I mean, there's that. That to me is the one thing that I hope bring is front of mind for all of us is that whenever that, the, whenever this round of push ups stops, mm-hmm. that when we come out the other side, that any of us that have a dollar are going to give fifty cents. Like the socialism is finally going to come to this country. I mean, it's going
2: to happen. Yeah, we've
0: yeah. been go f- crowdfunding each other for the last several years anyway, but like we're going to have to do this ourselves like the government may not hand this to us but we're going to have to do it ourselves we're going to have to open our homes to people we're going to have to help each other out there will i don't see that there is another option because at least for now and it's not just trump it it's it's uh he's just a a symbol of the rot that yeah, this all these things that keep happening where we pull back the curtain and we see all this fucking monkey business that's going on you know it's, it's way beyond trump and um I mean-
2: the timing is key. The, uh, the awareness sure. of the people, the election, <clears throat> end of the run of this craziness with these guys. Hopefully, the end of the run with these guys. Oh, yeah, that. I mean, like there-, there was an
0: article this week that David Chang wrote. I don't know if anybody read it. Um, and uh, he's a he's a chef and and a restaurant owner and an yeah, author. Yeah, I can
2: tell that.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and he talked about that the coronavirus could very well be the death of the restaurant business. And if you read the, the that's sort of a the headline's a little misleading, but basically what he's saying is that the chains will survive. The corporate will survive. Um, But that the, you know, who's going to fund so-and-so's, you know, taco venture or so-and-so, whatever, like we are going, we have to. And that's why, um, like when we come out on the other side of this, like it's going to be up to us to, link hands and and walk together into whatever the future is like yeah. we can't we can't allow the us versus them kind of stuff whether it's race class socioeconomics whatever it is like you can't that's gonna have to go away she said optimistically
1: yeah. it's gonna be so weird i wish we could time capsule this so that like to see what six months from ourselves
0: well we did we just recorded it so i
1: know but just to think like <laughs> six months from you now could talk to you and what you think, Uh, like everybody make a list of 10 things they think are gonna
0: happen. I have a friend who's doing that exact thing. He's like bingo. letter to future self. He's getting people to tell their future selves what they're thinking about today, whether it's what they're taking, what they're grateful for, what they'll never take for granted again, what they'll do at the end of it, whatever it is. we
3: we we, We should end on something positive maybe. There's yeah. not a lot of if traffic. something, an unexpected, <laughs> positive thing that has come out of this. Nature is go coming traffic. back. Pollution is yeah. down.
0: That's yeah. Yeah.
5: they being like, fuck y'all, let us have a breath. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's one thing that I wonder is, will this finally open a lot of other people's eyes to uh, climate change being a real thing that we can see that just just us cutting back because we're stuck at home will actually make people go, oh, maybe this is true.
1: I don't know. Yeah, but if you're the kind of person who didn't think it was true, would you notice? Yeah, I mean, but that can be your thing, Mary jo.
3: Thank or, you. Or, or they put it on their spin. They go, well, see, all we have to do is stop for a few weeks and it all goes back to great.
1: Right. I think something they've been talking about for a while is that they're going to let more people work flex hours from home because people have proven they can do stuff not coming in. And I know that's been something people have been wanting that like the yeah. nine to five yeah. work day yeah. is actually really hard on a lot of people. And I I know everyone's saying when you have children and no. you have, it, it's hard, but I also think for a lot of people, this is like, I don't have to pay for childcare and I don't have to constantly be in the office. So I can distract my kids for an hour while I'm on a meeting, but then I can raise my kids and do my job.
3: Yeah. And people will find workarounds, you know, that's a brave new world. Um, uh, I think companies, if they realize that a certain percentage of their forest doesn't need desks, parking spaces and offices and everything like that, that's probably going to help their bottom line. And you know, that's the big motivator.
4: Yeah.
1: Amanda, do you have a happy prediction?
4: Prediction. Or hope? Well, I mean, I have spoken with some people about, About a creative renaissance when there's a freedom and and sort of you know talking about these gratitudes about but having appreciation for smaller smaller things. I certainly have. I feel like uh, have had way more people calling me on the phone or Facetiming me than I have you know know, like in the last few weeks than I have probably (laughs) like three years. And I was away (laughs) out of the country like traveling. I was you know in and out all the time that way. And then I also do think even though we're streaming content and doing these things but there's something to be said about being forced to like be with yourself reckoning with yourself um one of my favorite things that i think about when i'm trying to create work and like suffering you know you sit there like staring at a blank screen or whatever or trying to make work is um david lynch talks about you know he's a painter as well as as a filmmaker and that his book that he wrote like catching the big fish when he's trying to be in the studio to paint a painting he said he has to be in there for four hours four hours of like anything time in order to get 20 good minutes of painting you know there's got to be all that room where like nothing there can just be like a drone nothing's going on but but you have to create enough room of nothing in order for something to show up and I I certainly think that there's some value in that and it's sometimes like you feel Mary Jo like you're going insane, but it, yeah, it's because it's, you know, that's a difference between like art class and math class is like, yeah, there's certain things that are definitely very specific and logical. And, you know, like whenever I'm trying to create, like all I want to do is go organize my shelves because like, that's a chore that makes a lot of sense. Whereas, And I'm an artist and I want to be an artist, but it's really hard. It's really fucking hard. It's hard to sit alone. Like I'm literally alone in my house. I'm supposed to have, I have this empty room. I should be making a studio and making all this work. And I just can't a good portion of the day. Um, But I have learned over the years, fortunately, I'm not a 23 year old anymore that there is a fair amount of, well, I'm in my house. So it's like I'm showing up to my studio. So it's just a broader picture and and I'm there. And so if if I get two good ideas or manage to write something down or something else comes through, I am trying to be thankful for that. Yeah.
1: All right. Amanda, will you tell people where they can find you and on the internet and stuff (laughs) and your Etsy account? Because she makes (laughs) amazing stuff. Oh, cool.
4: Uh, I don't have Etsy yet; it's personal. But I'm on Instagram, Mander Mudduck. Mander Mud Duck. I love that. Instagram handle, and uh, yes, I have some things that are cooking. That I I may be putting some services out there. Some I do um, pet pillow portraits of your favorite dog or cat, and. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of them. When I'm not doing puppets, it's yes, Dolores. Exactly. It's Dolores, exactly. She's look at that. Yeah, perfect.
0: For those of you listening, Patrick just showed us this beautiful, tiny, tiny, tiny dog, Jawawa.
4: When it's we take
3: the,
4: When we
5: take the photo, <laughs> you can hold her back up. <laughs> uh, Sam, where can people find you? Uh, on Instagram, I'm the Sam Pancake. T H E Sam Pancake. Um, J Sam Pancake on Twitter. I have a podcast called Sam Pancake Presents the Monday Afternoon Movie, which I'd like to all have you on eventually. Yeah, where me and a friend, watch a terrible, like late sixties to eighties bad uh, TV horror supernatural movie, um, and then we just talk about it for an hour. We watch it separately, and so there. That's that's wherever you find podcasts. Listen up, because
3: I mean, <laughs> if you, if you got time on your hands. Jump oh, in, yeah. it's free. Yeah. Have, have you done the one where Barbara Eden has an alien baby? Stranger Within? No, that's on my list to do next season. Do you want to do it with me? I saw it when it aired. I loved
5: it. Ooh. It's on YouTube now. I think it's also on Amazon now, yeah.
2: We'll try it. i might have to do it.
3: Patrick, where can people find you? Nowhere. <laughs> All
2: right. In the desert. In
3: the desert. I have an Instagram I don't check in on. I don't tweet. Um, I'm, I'm paring down Facebook because people are taking out their frustrations. You can put a kitten up there right now and everyone goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just, I'm just in the desert. Look for me out here. Bye-bye. All right. Ian?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, Ian screams on Instagram and I was very productive the last couple of weeks. I wrote a whole record. Uh, I will put one of the tunes on here. It's a, you know, the demo version of it without the rest of the band and everything but. I'll put that on this, this recording. And can everybody real quick look at your camera and light up? I'm going to take a screenshot. Ready? All right.
1: Uh, you normally don't get to hear that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Colleen uh, Smee on Twitter and Colleen Marie Smee on Instagram, two L's, two E's. Uh, and Teen Witch this Friday, which is the third? Yes. Yes. Uh, a giant cast, it'll be on YouTube, so look for it. Mary Jo. Uh
0: for me, you can find me on Twitter at Mary Joe LA. You can find me on Instagram at Mary Jo underscore LA. You can find me on Facebook at Mary Joe Smith where I I um share violent, angry news uh all day long. Um and uh what else can I tell you? Oh, and um our co-producer T Chick McClure, you can find him at T Chick Photo, and the day that we're recording this today is trans um visibility day and um um march 29th is not only chick's birthday but also his anniversary which is the day that he Mm -hmm. began his transition and he released a video today uh one photo a week from the last four years and it's really remarkable and beautiful to see so i encourage you to go to teach a photo on on uh, twitter instagram and um see how beautiful trans is and um Also, he's been taking
1: incredible photos of the city that when it's empty and normally he was getting up early, but now because of.
0: He's still getting up early and he's still going out there, but he's taking the photos from inside the car.
1: Okay.
3: Well, they're getting
0: out of the car.
1: They're gorgeous
3: photos. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And that, um, that compilation he did of the, of the, the, the four years of of trans portraits is astonishing. Yeah, so beautiful, so moving.
0: It's remarkable, and I—it's funny because the way he looks today is the way I've always seen him. But uh, you know, you look back and you see what he looked like four years ago, and it's beyond the facial hair, and it's beyond like all that other stuff that's that's happened. It's in his eyes because he's authentically himself now, and and peace and happiness is there, um, and that's just such a lovely thing. And so I have I have a lot of gratitude for that, having just celebrated that day and. It's his birthday. I always, like, try to make him what he wants on his birthday because I cook, and he wanted French fries. So, God damn it, into quarantine, I made French fries. Yeah. Wow.
3: Uh, I didn't know that was possible. It, it,
0: anything's possible. <laughs> um,
1: all right. Well, I hope this recording worked. If it didn't, I enjoyed having a lovely conversation with all
0: That's of fantastic. you. fantastic. <laughs> yep. Thank you all for joining us.
5: Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody. Love you guys.
3: Love you. Bye
4: -bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.